Friends, Genesis chapter one, we're gonna begin reading in verse three and we're gonna march through the first three days of the creation week. So Genesis chapter one, beginning in verse three. And God said, let there be lights and there was lights. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and he called the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation plants, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Let's pray together. God, you speak, and because you speak, and because you give ears to hear, we listen, and we can know you. And we can treasure you and be known by you. And I pray you would reveal yourself more and more to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I'm reading a book right now, Christopher Watkins' Biblical Critical Theory. It's an excellent book. If you don't have it, you should get it and read it. It's like a systematic theology, but it kind of weds itself to Western philosophy and answers some of the questions we've been asking for a long time. And it's a brilliant book. And even as I hear myself explain it out loud, I see you say, yeah, I'm not going to get that book. But I'll give you some highlights from it. But actually, in that book, uh, Watkins asks a really profound question that I hadn't thought much about. From Genesis chapter 1, why does God speak creation into being when he could have just thought creation into being? Right? Is there anything significant to the fact that God is saying all this stuff out loud when there's no one there to hear him rather than just thinking these thoughts in his mind? Wouldn't you agree that if there is a God who can say, let there be light and there was light, he is also a God who could think, let there be light and there would be light? Y'all agree with that? Like he could do that if he wanted to. Or he could go Thanos on the whole thing and just like snap his fingers and everything appears all out of nothing, all very good, all in an instant. He could do any of those things. Well, our philosophy friends will see Aristotle and Plato's preference here, Western philosophers who would prefer a God who is seen and not heard. Because for them, like for Plato, he would praise ideas over words and Aristotle would think of God as the self-thinking thought. And what they mean is everything that happens abstractly in the mind is pure and good, but the moment it comes out into creation through word or through deed, then it gets marred and then it's subject to misinterpretation. So the best things are held within. So again, why is it significant 
that God wouldn't do what Aristotle wanted him to do, and he would speak creation into being. Well, says Watkin, thinking is private, speaking is social. Thinking is private, speaking is social. If God's goal is to enjoy great, lofty, unknowable truths within himself, then thinking would be just fine. He could do that and no one would have access to those things. But if God has something he wants to share, then he's going to have to say it so that we can hear it. Who do you see in Genesis chapter 1? A God who is hiding his thoughts or a God who is sharing himself? Days one through six, and God said, and God called, and God said, and God called, said, called, said, 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 blessed, said, said, blessed, said. 14 speaking verbs in just one chapter. He's a God who is speaking. He is a communicating God. He is a revealing God. He's a put the cookies of self-revelation on the bottom shelf where everyone can reach them kind of God. He is a God choosing to show himself by what he says. He speaks. He talks to us. He says something to us. And we are all the beneficiaries of a speaking God. Now I see five things in our passage that are significant about what God is doing when he's speaking. So I want to understand these five things about God speaking. And the first one is God's speaking commands. That's what he's doing here. That's the most obvious. God's speaking commands. Psalm 148 puts it bluntly. He commanded and they were created. That's how the chapter goes. He says it and it gets done. Genesis 1 is showing us how the world is going to work. God makes a decree. God has an idea. He has a desire and it gets filled perfectly. We don't worship a wait and see God, right? Some of y'all came in here this morning with a wait and see God. I know he said it, but let's just wait and see if or how or when he's going to do the thing. And we know from our parents, wait and see means no. You know, can I do this? Well, let's wait and see. That's a no. And some of y'all think we have a wait and see God, but God says it, he decrees it, and it is as good as done. He is a commander giving orders, and they are obeyed immediately. We talk in my house about obedience with our kids and we say, hey, obedience is obeying right away, all the way with a happy heart, right? Anything less than that is not really obedience. That's obedience. That's a great word for our kids to their parents. That's a great word for parents to their God. And that's creation before the Lord in Genesis chapter one. Not a single command in Genesis 1 goes unanswered, unobeyed, unfulfilled, delayed in any way. God says it and it's done. I read this really weird verse this morning. It came out of the mouth of Jesus. Remember when he's talking about prayer and he says, look, if you have prayer, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you know what you can do? You remember this? 
He says, you can say to a mountain, get up and throw yourself into the sea. What a bizarre verse. Like, has anyone ever done that in here? Anybody tried to do that? That's crazy. What is he saying? He's telling us what God is like. God can do that. God can throw mountains willy-nilly wherever he wants to. And if prayer is access to a God whose decrees are perfect and always fulfilled, then I can ask him to do things that would be miracles, and he can do them. When he speaks, he commands, and it is fulfilled. Well, number two, God speaking interprets. Look at places like verse four. After God spoke light into being, we read, and God saw that the light was good. Now, the text doesn't say that God said that out loud, but it is written for our benefit. We get access to God's thoughts because we read that he thought or said that this was good. And so God is interpreting his creation for us so that we all might, in turn, know what is good and right and beautiful. God tells us what that is, and then he weaves that revelation into the fabric of creation so we actually know what is good and right and pleasing because God has interpreted for us. Because God declares what is good, that's why I pull my car over in the morning and enjoy a brilliant sunrise. Because God says what is good, that's why I tremble with the thrill of a thunderstorm. When God says something is good, I can stand on a canyon edge and lose my breath. Because God says something is good, I can stand on a beach and feel myself very, very small in front of an ocean. God says it's good, and it's good. It's good. When God does this thing with light on day one, calls forth this glorious, bright shiningness, and he sees that it is good and right and beautiful, he calls it good, and he's proud of it. In fact, God is so proud of his creation of light that Psalm 104 that we heard in the call to worship says of God, you cover yourself with light as a garment. You put it on. Or another translation, you wear light like a robe. Or another translation, you dress up in sunshine. God interprets light as good and then he lets the goodness of light interpret himself. Y'all seeing how this is working? You wanna be teased as to what God actually looks like? You ever wonder what God looks like? I mean, we don't get a picture of him. We don't have any images in here about him. We can't make any idols for him because he doesn't have a body. But aren't you dying to know what God looks like? And Psalm 104 teases us and says, you want to know what God looks like? Picture a spirit wearing the sun and you're halfway there. That's God. So he interprets. Number three, God's speaking names. You see how he's naming things throughout the chapter? Verse five, he calls the light day and he calls the darkness night. Then in verse eight, he names heaven. Then in verse 10, he names the earth and the seas and so on. He does that through the rest of the chapter. We know that naming was important in the ancient Near East like it's important today because when you name something, you show that you have authority over that person or that thing and you also show something of understanding that person or that thing. 
And so you think about parents naming their child. Or you think Adam in chapter two, who's gonna name the animals. Or you think of a scientist or an explorer making a discovery and naming what they have seen or what they have discovered. The elements of God's creation don't get serial numbers. They don't get barcodes. They don't get price tags. They get names. God sees them, loves them, names them, which puts his authority over them and which places them properly in their fitted place within his world. He gives his creation names. So he commands, he interprets, he names. Number four, God's speaking delights. This is, this is a beautiful one. God's speaking delights. So God, of course, is not just speaking in the text. His speaking is the text, right? He's not just saying the things in quotation marks. He's saying everything in Genesis chapter one. So if you were to go out and get a, a red letter Old Testament Bible, I don't know if they have those, you know, Jesus's words in, in red, but God's quotations in red in the Old Testament, well, then you have God's words that are in quotation, but the entire book itself is also God's words in quotation for us to hear his inspired word. And so it's not just what God is saying in quotation marks in Genesis 1. The whole of Genesis 1, all the words there are God's, and there's something really special about the language of Genesis. We're gonna to get to this a little bit later when we all argue about creation days, whether they're literal or a poetic framework, but wherever you fall on that, everybody can agree that the language here is magnificent. It's not quite a story and it's not quite a poem. It's got elements of both and so some have taken to calling it exalted poetic prose. The writing is clean it's rhythmic, it's memorable, it's beautiful. But not only is the, the writing beautiful, beyond that, there is careful use of important symbolic numbers. So you've got important numbers in the Bible, like three or seven or 10 that mean something and appear in important places to kind of cue us in that something is important is happening. And so people who are smarter than me, who know their Hebrew and apparently had a spreadsheet handy, they worked through Genesis chapter one and they were able to tell me where these numbers begin to appear. Think about the number three. He speaks three times concerning mankind and three times concerning the creatures and he gives three benediction blessings over everything that he has made. Think about the number 10. We hear the words God said 10 times. This is like the first 10 commandments, the first decalogue. God said, God said, God said 10 times before we even get to Exodus chapter 20 and the 10 commandments that are found there but also the verb to make and the formula according to its kind are each also referenced 10 times. So you got three, you got 10, but it's really seven that takes the cake. Seven is a really important number in the Bible. It's the number of completion. 
And actually the Hebrew word for seven and the Hebrew word for completion have the exact same consonants. So in Hebrew, you often write just consonants, no vowels. And if you put those two words together, seven and completion, they would look the exact same and the one is forming the other. So there's seven days, of course, that cues us in to look for the number seven, but the expressions, it was good and it was so, and God made each of those occur seven times in the chapter. God's name, Elohim, is used 35 times, which is seven times five. Earth, 21 times, which is seven times three. Day, 14 times, which is seven times two. And in our whole study of Genesis one through four, all the names of God will be used 70 times, seven times 10. And if you really wanna get down in the weeds, the first verse has seven Hebrew words and the second verse has two times seven, 14 Hebrew words. And by the time you get to the seventh paragraph, it has 35, seven times five Hebrew words. Man, if y'all don't know by now that this is a special book, This is unlike any other book on your bookshelf that God's hand is all over this book. If you don't know that by now, I'm not sure I can help you. You think Moses is sitting there counting to his seventh paragraph to make sure he's got a numerable multiple of seven in the Hebrew words he is using? Is this not the hand of God on this book? It is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is a perfect guide to light and heart and God's word is here. This is word. I tell you, God speaking is not just true, it's beautiful. It delights the senses. We could say about our Bibles what Eve thought about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a delight to the eyes and it was desirable to make one wise. You want that, friend? Do you want something that's a delight to the eyes and desirable to make you wise unto everlasting life? Here it is, the word of God just sitting within reach to pick up and read and study and memorize and meditate on and to enjoy in God's presence forever. He speaks and it's beautiful. But number five, God's speaking reveals. So we're gonna end where we started. We said God choosing to speak creation into existence and not to think it into existence means that he's choosing to show himself to us and God doesn't play hide and seek with us. He doesn't make himself hard to find. He makes himself readily available that we could seek him and find him. That's exactly what Paul preaches in Acts chapter 17 when he writes, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined and allotted the periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And yet he is not far from each one of us. Have you ever wondered why you were born where you were born, to the parents to whom you were born to, with the experiences that you've had, 
and why you live in this era, why you live in this age, why you live in this country, why you live with these friends. Do you wonder that? You ask yourself that? Like every day, like me, do you wonder that? Acts 17 is saying, the simple reason is, God has placed you exactly where you might turn around and seek him and find him. And this right here is the fruit of his creation. You are within earshot of the gospel. You have every opportunity to hear and repent and respond to this good news of grace in the gospel. God has decreed it. It has come to pass. You have access to him that you might know him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Paul is thinking back to this God, Genesis 1 God, who says, let there be light. The God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If God knows how to make light out of darkness, if he can take perfect darkness and shine this brilliant light that we can see and that we can see by, then he's a God who can shine the light of his gospel in our hearts so that we might see, respond, enjoy, commune with him forever. Let's pray together. Lord, you speak. Give us ears to listen. Let us listen well to how you speak to us. Let us respond to the words that you say when you invite us to yourself. Let us obey the words you command. Let us believe in faith the words that you tell us are true. Let us, as your creatures, respond to a speaking creator. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.